Welcome to Phone Booth Fighting. I'm Richard. He's Frank. This is the podcast where we talk about mixed martial arts and the world beyond. Sometimes literally the world beyond, Frank, because we have to explain to everybody, first and foremost, apologies, that we didn't do a second episode last week because you were in Russia. You were in Russia, in Moscow, trying to sort out this whole Vladimir Putin WikiLeaks thing. Uh, we'll yeah. get get to that in a second <laughs> to see what kind of progress you made. Uh, but you know, not not unlike when Dennis Rodman had to travel to North Korea to engage a in different. a little uh, guerrilla diplomacy <laughs> with Kim Jong Un. Um, that but, was crazy. But uh, you were over there, and we actually were not going to let that stop us from doing a show. Uh, the plan was that you were going to have a layover in L.A. We were going to get on the phone and we we're going to do a, a, a guerrilla style uh, show that we do sometimes with with basically FaceTiming and record the, the the video chat and post that. But you called me later than planned. You said uh, there's been a Homeland Security breach. The airport was shut down, and a woman was arrested. Yeah. Uh, tell me, tell me what happened. Well, as I'm, uh, I got off my plane from here to LA, and I was going to go ahead and go through customs in LA and catch the international flight. And uh, I made sure they booked my uh, connecting flight at least three hours in between because uh, I've traveled enough internationally to know that every time there's a random person selected out of the line, or you have to go through any extra. Uh, searches uh, i'm that guy and uh i think it has a lot to do with in fact i've been told already so i'm aware of it mm. my last name having the prefix of the third because i'm francisco santos mir the third oh for whatever reason that the computers don't like me and i am constantly just under extra valuation really 100 percent. well because look when you spell that out on a computer some people go LLL. Some people go capital I I I. And since there seems to be no consistent way to do that, yeah. every time I get stopped. Every time. Okay. Like, you know, oh. when you go through the automatic passport uh, okay. control, yeah. gives you a little X on the thing, means you got to yeah. go to the special line. I always get the X. So in fact, whoever I'm with, I usually just tell them, I'll meet you on the other side. I'm going to be a minute. I see. So it's not that it necessarily describes uh, uh, a, the, the, the fact that you're third in a uh, of three generations isn't the red flag in and of itself. It might be the fact that it's been entered in inconsistent ways. Correct. Every time. Because pr- probably the computer thinks, wait a second, this person might have multiple names that's or identities. That's what I was told. Like that. At least that's the explanation okay. that they're sticking with right now. Yeah. The reason why I constantly get pulled out of line. So. Yeah, I got it. I, got <laughs> I haven't it. sent any dogs off uh, going yeah. crazy on my luggage yet. So, uh, But anyways, so on top of that, that mm-hmm. I normally deal with, which I was planning for, as I got into the line at LAX, I hear screaming and shouting, and I hear a lot of FUs, and mm-hmm. and I, I look over, and I see four or five police officers wrestling around with this lady and putting her in a wheelchair, handcuffed her, <laughs> and, I, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of looking at everybody else, and no one really knows what's going on, except for the, every single security uh, entrance, all the x-ray machines uh, are at a complete standstill and stop, uh-huh. and all of a sudden traffic that normally is pretty slow and... Uh, built up is now it looks like LA traffic, but just in person, all of us standing, you know, uh, <laughs> in line trying to figure out what's going on. And it was shut down only for probably about 30 minutes. 
but that 30 minutes really added to a lot more grief for everybody else. So, well, What did t- she do? But she, first of all, describe the woman for me. Let me I really a- couldn't see her, to be oh, honest. You she see. was so far on the other side, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't want to move around too much and lose my spot. Yeah. And so, um, but basically, listening to the TSA agents and the officer, uh, one TSA agent, she basically just tried to hop over one of the stanchions, you know, that you do not enter. Mm-hmm. And she tried to bolt through it, and when he went to go stop her, she started clawing at his face and screaming. And next thing I know, uh, you know, they called the police officers. And by I hadn't caught the beginning of it; I just got stuck right in the middle of it. So, so basically, she just didn't like the the inconvenience of the lengthy line and just snapped. It sounds. I like. guess I have no idea. I mean, she added to all the rest of the lengthy line inconvenience to to, the, to her fellow man. But uh, there, therein lies the irony. I. I, I I wish I could have known. I don't know if someone missed the medication. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, because uh, <laughs> let's face it, this day and age, who thinks they're going to bolt past the line and still be able to safely make it to their flight? Right, right. Well, that ate into our. I hope she's happy because uh, she not only delayed Screw the line. Up everybody's day. That's right. And she cost uh, the phone booth fighting listeners a uh, a podcast and I last what week. The fine is for that. No. Right? Oh, boy, forget fines. I'd be worried I'd be on my way to Guantanamo Bay right now, you know. I would be very – I don't – that's nothing I want to be messing around with. No, the whole FFA thing, you mm-hmm. don't really want to screw around with, pull anything the wrong way. No. I did one time, I accidentally uh, – I was running late for a flight, uh-huh. and they were shutting the door. Mm-hmm. And the guy was walking down. I was trying to yell their name. Hey, and as it shut, I had put my hand out and it, and knock the door back open. Oh. Man, alarms went off, and I stepped back. Like, what are you doing? Like, oh, I was just trying to, you know, I was trying to catch his attention. Like, no, it's too late. All right. And I thought, you know, okay, how much trouble could I possibly be in? Sure enough, you know. Yeah, there's a whole I got conversation. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. Why? Yeah, there's a whole conversation to be at. You know who can tell you a thing or two about, I mean, it doesn't pertain to TSA, but it always makes me think of um, Jacob Volkman. Remember him? Yeah. That was in the UFC. He was real uh, anti-Obama, and he went through this phase where uh, after a couple of post-fight interviews, he was saying, like, anti-Obama stuff. And they said, uh, who's the next—I think Rogan at one point asked him uh, who was the next person he wanted to fight. And he said, uh, I'd like to beat up Barack Obama. And uh, later on that week, uh, back at home in Minnesota, he was at his high school wrestling practice that he coached, and— Couple of guys in suits showed up. Said we need to need to talk to you for a second. Ah. You can't you can't can't say things like that. Yeah, yeah. that actually is the law, right? You can't no, you cannot. The president. Yeah, no, and yeah. it's taken very very seriously, and it has to be. I mean, and he told me I actually talked to Jake about that, and he said that you know they showed up and they go, okay, look, we know you didn't mean anything, but you, this is technically a violation of law. We got to you know interview you and all that. But if you think about it, that's good policy to have. I mean, there's plenty of things you can say in opposition to the president without having to say anything about physical violence toward them. I think given our nation's history, we've assassinated four out of 44 presidents. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. I think at the same time, I understand the context because you get asked that question sometimes they'll ask. Sure. If you could fight anybody in the world, and that's when people try to be creative and, you know. I think mm-hmm. I heard one time some guy said fight Abraham Lincoln because he had mm-hmm. good reach or something. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If they're a dead president, you might be able to get away okay, with that, yeah. maybe. I don't know. Hey, by the way, we are streaming live on Facebook at the uh, Phone Booth Fighting Facebook page right now. So uh, there's a handful of people who are on live with us right now. And if you've got questions, 
uh, just post them there in the comment section and we'll get to them. If you're not uh, streaming us live, but you want to go watch the replay, well, it's going to be embedded right there on our Facebook page, our Phone Booth Fighting Facebook page. And we've got bigger plans than this for the live stream. We're actually just kind of um, experimenting with the new uh, Mevo Today's technology goal is to have it to be a live stream and not <laughs> yeah, not drop off. So far, so good. You know what? We are streaming in high definition, and uh, we haven't seemed to frighten anybody with our uh, with our faces yet in HD. So that's a good sign. Um, we've got a, a lot of uh, improvements coming uh, on a day by day basis now that we've we've we've. Uh, Thanks to the Fund Anything campaign, uh, put together enough capital to not only improve the audio quality, but to introduce the video component, which is going to be really beneficial now that, uh, you know, when Frank and I take the show on the road or we go over to somebody's house or we have a, um, a guest join us out here on the patio. Speaking of uh, programming note here uh, momentarily, I'll tell you a little bit about uh, what's happening for the second show of this week. We're going to do something special out here on the patio at uh, Stately Mirror Manor. But I uh, just want to let everybody know that uh, if on uh, Monday nights and Wednesday nights, which is typically when we tape these, if uh, you're around the Facebook universe, feel free to pop on to the Phone Booth Fighting Facebook page, and uh, you'll be seeing us there. Okay, and uh, also the uh, uh, T-shirt and poster packages for the Fund Anything campaign have uh, all gone out, so you should be receiving them. In fact, when you get them, do us a favor. Do Frank and me a favor. Wouldn't you like this, Frank, if people would tag us in a photo of the shirts and posters or maybe wearing the shirt? Like uh, uh, I know Joe, one of our uh, loyal listeners, uh, uh, tagged us in an Instagram photo. He wore his uh, phone booth fighting T-shirt to Disneyland, uh, where I know you're going this weekend with uh, his family, and these shirts are different than the ones that, uh, the first ones that we released, but in fact, both of them are available now at phoneboothfightingshop.com, so if you want to check those out, we've got both styles of t-shirts available there now, as well as the autographed posters, if you'd like those, and the cat's out of the bag on those now, it's a it's a vintage fight style poster. What we were going for was I wanted that like uh, John L. Sullivan, Jack Johnson kind of uh, the old pugilistic yeah. style. Yeah, Jack Dempsey, where they would they would strike that that bizarre pose where one fist would be way way. Let me ask you a question: How what do you think your record would be if you had to have uh, fought every one of your fights with that stance? <laughs> and the other guy didn't have to. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think there's a reason why we kind of evolved a little bit. Yeah. I think it's funny the way we look at that picture. I wonder if guys a hundred years from now, the evolution of MMA when they watch us move around, mm-hmm. they're gonna be like, God, they didn't know shit. Yeah, that would be interesting, <laughs> wouldn't it? That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. They would be like, because uh, yeah, you know everything keeps getting better. You know, I mean. You watch football in the 60s and, and see yeah. how the guys look like now in the plays and basketball and baseball. And, you know, everybody just keeps getting more skilled. And Well, it's kind of like I guess there's a reason uh, in football they stopped doing the Heisman pose. You don't see a lot of this going on yeah, anymore, right? Farming. Yeah, that's, is that illegal? I don't know my football rules. No, no, that's that's legal? Oh, but I okay. think uh, now people realize – well, I mean, you still have guys sometimes still do it. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, – I think fumbling the ball is a big no-no. So I think mm-hmm. guys more or less 
try to use their shoulder and mm-hmm. protect the ball with both hands. You know what uh, What my idea was for, even though I, I don't uh, know much about, well, I don't know anything about any sports that aren't combat sports, but uh, uh, I had the idea, I remember I was on a sports station when the rule came out a handful of years ago that you had to, um, you could not take your helmet off in celebration, you know, this rule. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that, that came along a couple of years ago. And uh, I had the idea that uh, a penalty for it, instead of like a fine, I think it would be funny to get creative with these with things. The <laughs> no, 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 that what you have to do is... Guys in his kitchen cooking eggs or wearing a helmet. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that would be funny too. But what you have to do is if... Um, you are if you get caught you know celebrating uh taking your helmet off in the end zone you have to play the next set of downs wearing one of those old leather helmets <laughs> yeah i don't know if that would pass i mean they're pretty scared about uh concussions nowadays like a, it'd be like a modern day uh, like a modern day dunce cap you uh, know <laughs> by the way uh i am uh, we we unfortunately don't have the uh assistance of my girlfriend here tonight to uh run the uh the camera for us so i'm having to do uh oh people are probably laughing if they're watching the stream i'm screwing us up i'm trying to um i'm trying to uh yeah i'm trying to go for the two shot and uh talk at the uh at the same time we'll see if that worked did that work damn it damn it Come on, there we go. There's that two shot I was looking for. Okay, very nice. All right, uh, like I said, it just looks like I'm checking out your junk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me widen it a little. Oh boy. <laughs> All right, uh, let's see here. So, uh, so speaking of checking out junk, you made it through TSA. Okay, I did. How was the rest of the uh, Russian trip? Because you were over there commenting. I, I, I. I was uh, in jest. I said you were uh, mediating the whole Putin WikiLeaks thing. Uh, the reality was you were over there doing commentary for ACB. It's a, a fight promotion. My understanding is they're, they're, they originate out of England. Is that right? Or am no, I... it's actually Russian. Oh, it is Russian. Okay. A lot of the guys I deal with, though, that work with them are from England. Maybe too. that's what it was. Because I, uh, I was told like their management was kind of English-based or something. But it's it's ACB, Apple Cat Boy, yeah, ACB absolute, fight promotion. Yeah, Absolute Championship uh, Beirut. Yeah. The the uh, the name of the Russian hawk that they have after one of the academies there. Oh yeah, and that's their that the the hawk their is eagle. like their uh, their logo, yes. right? That's what. I, okay, yeah, it's it was. Cool, actually. I thought I was very impressed with it. Now I got I watched. The guys are good thing. fighters there, right? Yeah, I watched this thing. Uh, it was it was live on YouTube, and in fact, if you did not uh, see it, I think you can probably go on the ACB uh, YouTube page and watch it and listen to uh, to Frank. Do uh, commentary and the fights. The fights were good. They're awesome. The production was great. I mean, that was the first thing I noticed. Was it was really a good quality production. Uh, I liked your uh, your your um, your play by play guy, uh, Brian Lacey. Brian Lacey, who was uh, a Brit. Yep. And as I understand, not only a uh, an MMA enthusiast, but a stand up comic. He is. Uh, He's like the British me. You know what? There's actually a lot of correlation between the two of us. We're making jokes because uh, his birthday is only seven days after mine. We're about the same age. His oh, wife right. is only a year younger than my wife. Yeah. Uh, during the same month and day, same almost close birthdays within days of each other. Uh, yeah. And then uh, he's a stand-up comic that's had one professional fight. 
I'm a professional fighter who's had one. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> one uh, stand up uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. showing. And so uh, we were, I, I was laughing. Like, we were sitting, I'm like, man, you're kind of like my uh, European counterpart here. That's uh, true. Switch universes, you know. That's or, true. Or parallel universe. So, what uh, uh, would you, I, I, like I said, I watched it. It would have been uh, Saturday morning here, and uh, I thoroughly uh, enjoyed it. You're going to be calling more fights for them, too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, the next one will be uh, November 26th. I'll be out there again. Uh, different part of Russia, and then um, yeah, I was very impressed. And uh, the definitely, if you're just into pure fighting, the skill level of the guys, I was a uh, uh, very impressed and not disappointed in the least. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if anybody wonders why guys like that are fighting there, and you know you haven't seen them maybe in the UFC or not, and really it's just that one, there's a language barrier, and I think personality-wise. The whole demeanor there is pretty much they embody the fighters and the the, the guys there. The you know the, to uh, you know uh, whether they speak softly and carry a big stick mm-hmm. or walk softly. The yeah. Teddy Roosevelt approach. Right. to uh, That's MMA. how the guys are. They're out there and they're ferocious warriors and they fight like hell. But uh, as far as selling the fight and trying to talk trash and be any kind of Conor McGregor type of personality, mm-hmm. you're not going to see that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, they're you know they're very soft spoken and just you know they all are about the fight and I think that's uh, even why the production kind of goes with that with less show more fight and and I think it's a great fit for guys with that personality that aren't necessarily going to uh, you know uh, you know say outlandish things or try to market the fight but basically if you're just into fighting for the sake of watching two guys that are martial artists compete then it's definitely a league you'll enjoy yeah because you said that uh, you said that. Uh, I think it was during the main event that I recall, uh, which was their lightweight title fight. I think it was yeah. lightweight title that you you said that 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 was like because uh, it was well uh, spoiler alert uh, the fight was stopped early. But I think I remember hearing you describe the uh, the first round as one of the more exciting rounds you'd ever seen. It was one of the most impressive one round fights I've ever been able to watch live. Um, it's definitely an argument for anybody. To, you know, it's in there. Uh, it was such a back and forth battle between the uh, the champion, who was the only person. You know, he had a. a it was the last person to beat uh, Ali Bagoff, who was the uh, challenger, mm-hmm. and that was like um, nine, ten fights ago. And he came out and right off the bat, you know, uh, uh, Aziz, uh, the uh, uh, champion, right off the bat was in trouble against Ali, who, you know, had twenty. I think what was the stat twenty one of his twenty two finishes yeah all first round submissions yeah yeah and uh he was able to put him down and he had him mounted and it was uh it, it was looking like it was going to be a one round fight and then he was able to reverse position get on top and uh i still don't know what he did but one of the shots landed on the ear of uh the challenger and ali um you know they had to call the fight in between the rounds of the first round going into the second that something broke inside he had a hard time standing up yeah. had to be carried out you think um, that that sounded like a like a equilibrium interruption like a busted eardrum or that's something that's what like i was that. thinking yeah. uh a couple of the elbows might have caught him right there and mm-hmm. you know uh it looked like, I mean, obviously without being a doctor and, and not being in the medical room during the exam, mm-hmm. um, I would have guessed some kind of inner ear, something in the bones, you know, ruptured and uh, it was causing him severe pain and distortion. Yeah. And, you know, if you're in her ear, I mean, you can imagine just standing up off the couch when you have a cold, you can get dizzy. I couldn't imagine trying to fight a professional fight without my equilibrium. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's a shame that it ended that way. And but uh, it happens. And I would be very excited to see them fight again. Let's uh, let's 
to it. Let's check in with their uh, live stream here. There's a couple of questions from people. Uh, Josh Vance says, greetings from Ohio. The podcast is awesome as usual. I have to know if either one of you are Walking Dead fans. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I I really like that show. Um, I'm I'm several seasons behind though, so I have to profess that. My my problem is, I get um, this will tell you a little bit about my personality. I am the classic uh, binge watcher. Like you I have be to be patient, wait. Mm-hmm. That is the best way to do it. Yeah, yeah. I but the, like right now I'm all pissed off and angry because I just saw the, the season oh, premiere. Oh yeah, yeah it's yeah. fucking awful. Yeah, I heard it was a a big deal. But I like, uh, for example, awful and not in a bad way. Like it was right. a bad show. Just obviously uh, things that occurred, I was unhappy with, and now I want to see redemption. And I realize yeah. I'm probably not going to see it till the towards the end of the season. Yeah. And so I much would rather have known that I could just jam through ten hours of a show than yeah. Now I have to wait till next Sunday, and there's probably going to be two months before I get any kind of satisfaction. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, shows like that are a are a whole process for me because um, I I uh, I want to see every episode from beginning to end, you know, especially the really good stuff. So like right now, I'm uh, I'm I'm knee deep into uh, Narcos on Netflix. Yeah, I'm about done with so the what, second what season. What season are on you that. caught up to? So there's only two seasons. No, okay? no, of Walking Dead. Oh gosh, just the first couple. Oh, yeah. you're going to be happy then if you go and binge watch that because there's been a couple season ending or mid season finales. Yeah. That if oh come on you know? oh yeah yeah <laughs> like, good good leave us there yeah and then uh, you know you'll get the satisfaction of only having to wait long enough to see the next episode load yeah I look forward to that I uh, I had uh, I've had on my radio show a couple of times uh, my old radio show the guy um what's the guy's name he's like one of the main characters he's kind of the long hair um, Daryl. Well, but what's his real name? Oh. Reedus. Yeah, uh, Norman Reedus. Norman Reedus, yeah. Actually, I think he's most fans, one of their favorite characters. Yeah, I, I, I had had him on, I think the first time I had him on my show was to promote uh, the sequel to Boondock Saints. Ah, I remember that. Yeah. and uh, I never saw the sequel. I oh, remember. yeah. I've yeah. seen the first one. Yeah. What I remember about that conversation with him was uh, that I said, uh, yeah, I said, uh, you know, I have a... Um, I have a friend that's in Boondock Saints, and I said he probably does the greatest job of of promoting that movie that I've ever seen. And uh, Norm goes, uh, "Oh, Ron Jeremy," just like that. Like he knew immediately who I was talking about because that is Ron's number one bragging point. His scene in Boondock Saints because I forgot about that he was in the first one. Yeah, for for as much of a legendary the comedian uh, Billy Connolly, he's the mm-hmm. they're bad, they're the, the the dad, right? Right. For for as much of a uh, a legendary uh, porn career as uh, Ron has and had, he has always aspired to be a legitimate film actor. And so if he gets a role in anything, and I mean if it's just he's, you know, salesman number three, just walking by the camera for a few seconds, he touts it like nobody's business. So in a situation like Boondock Saints, where he actually had a little bit of a part, I mean, I think there was some speaking and things yeah. like that. He got killed in the uh, in the, the movie. But that's probably in turn that's probably been his longest amount of camera time while being able to keep his clothes on. That was a good yeah. movie. I liked it. Yeah, so he's he's always. I think uh, the only movie that. I can remember so one time too was seeing uh, Ron Jeremy. I had fallen asleep out in the living room mm-hmm. and uh, you know watching you know uh, cable and 
you know, you wake up at three in the morning, you know, to go back in the bedroom and you, you know, I look up and you'll see some of the strangest movies you're kind of catching halfway through. And there was something about an alien penis mm. that had like. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Movie. Yeah, it was a, a horror, horror movie. movie. So made, this yeah. penis is going around like. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, yes. I, uh, I remember. Um, it was one of those like, fuck, man. <laughs> Did I eat something bad or am I yeah. really watching this right now? Yeah. Am I awake? <laughs> I'll show you a, uh, I'll show you a, I have a picture that, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you'd care if I posted this or not on our social media, but it would probably get us banned from, it would probably get our account suspended. I was uh, I was in his hotel room one time. It was actually Dennis Hoff's hotel room, and Ron was on the couch. That's already the making of a good story. Yeah. Yes, Dennis Hoff's hotel room. Right, Ron, Ron was present. Ron was on the couch, <laughs> but Ron uh, fell asleep on the couch, completely naked, and he had been watching TV. And when he fell asleep, the, his hand dropped, and the remote laid directly across his cock it was like it just couldn't have been scripted more perfectly and we got a great photo of it where you know uh uh of course the the remote control didn't have quite the impressive length on it <laughs> but uh, the remote control actually came up a little short yeah, in the don't they say that like, for every like 10 20 pounds you're overweight you lose like a half an inch or something is that right yeah well if you think about it, you get fat your bladder you know yeah. your stomach's sticking out more yeah your, your dick's still I, connected back there, and it's anchored down, you know? So, yeah. I know that Ron will tell you. So imagine you, what he would look like if you only weighed 150. <laughs> that's true. Well, I know that Ron will tell you that he can no longer suck his own cock. That's probably more with belly than length problem. No, it is. But, you know, that, that had happened a time or two on film. I don't know if you knew about that. You ever seen those? No. Yeah, it's it's documented. I've seen it. At one time he could do it. But this was uh this was probably like the early eighties. We are all over the map tonight, aren't we? We're we're only about twenty five minutes in. Hope you guys are uh happy. Let's see what else is happening here. Um Izzy Avalos says, Rich and Frank, what's happening? Uh my favorite heavyweight fighter of all time. I think that's you, Frank. Um, thanks, Izzy. Ryan Mullen, Mr. Mirror, Mr. Hunter, listening to your amazing podcast all the way here in Syracuse, New York. If you could change or improve two things to make MMA a better sport than it already is, what would it be and how do you think it would change or improve MMA as a whole? Boy. Okay, Frank. We get two things, I think it's probably one apiece, uh, to change about professional mma what's one thing you would change to make it better uh if you hold on the ground they don't start the fight up neutral uh you'll see now guys are starting to and i think even on this last show i was talking about it live on air uh-huh. um because uh, one of the combatants that was kind of his uh uh mo there to get up off the ground he would he would once he was in full guard he wanted to get the fight back up to his feet yeah so he would just double over hook his opponent's arms and hug them and basically stared up at the referee saying you know i'm not gonna fight you can start us back up Mm -hmm. and i think that that uh that uh you know i think obviously anytime we promote aggression in a fight i think fans uh enjoy it better yeah uh i don't think anybody wants to see stalling tactics Mm mm-hmm 
And I don't think that we should reward stalling tactic, tactics. If you're the top position or if you're in control and the other guy can't get out or, you know, and you're basically just hugging and holding on, I see how, you know, at that point you're penalized by losing the position and you have to stand up. But as far as being a, a striker, uh, if you're on your back and your only uh, recourse is to hold on and slow the pace of the fight mm-hmm. so that the referee penalizes you by giving you a neutral position, to me, I think that would be better just to, you know, the same as holding the cage. You warn the guy on the bottom, you have to work, you have to do something, warn the guy. If he just wants to connect his hands and stall, well, then we just deduct a point. Yeah. I think you would see more excitement in fights, and it wouldn't, uh, uh, you know, because that's really a skill set that doesn't carry over to real fighting. Mm-hmm. If I was in a real fight with somebody and I wanted to get back up to my feet, mm-hmm. I couldn't just hug them indefinitely and hope that one of his buddies go, okay, guys. You guys are obviously doing nothing here, so let's separate and fight again from our feet. Right. You yeah. have to have your own skill set and abilities to you know, get the fight back up to its feet. I think for me, and this actually uh, will, will lead us into uh, one of the topics that we did have uh, planned to talk about, which uh, is all the layoffs that occurred at the UFC this uh, last week or so. If you didn't see... Uh, a number of uh, fighters were cut. They're trimming the roster uh, now that um, uh, the sale has gone through uh, to the new owners. And uh, probably the most notable name was uh, Antonio Bigfoot Silva has been cut. So he's a free agent now, uh, in addition to a number of other uh, lesser-known fighters. Huh? Not you. No, <laughs> I checked. I was looking your name up, and uh, no, you're you're still uh, under contract. But... Um, you know, people would probably first primarily focus on the fighters, but I was actually taking uh, a closer look at some of the management that uh, that they laid off. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Dave Schaller, who's a great guy, he was uh, one of the vice presidents. I don't know what his official title was, vice president. PR? Yeah. Yeah, he was like a, a PR vice president, but he was really a guy who in the last uh, couple of years had taken on a way more visible role. Yeah, basically uh, you know, every time Dana wasn't there, he was the yeah, he was, front man. Yeah, in fact, famously, if you don't know the name Dave Schaller, he famously is the PR guy who was thrown through the banner when things got out of hand at the yeah. stare down between uh, John Jones and Daniel Cormier. He was the he was the victim of a thousand memes. That was a that was a great couple of days. Remember when everybody was yeah. making all those all those memes of him going through the banner? It's great stuff. And he was a great guy. And uh, just on a yeah, personal yeah, on a personal level, I was I was just now he didn't get laid off, but he took a job with the Philadelphia 76ers. But I'm guessing I haven't, I haven't asked him. I haven't seen him since. But, you know, I'm guessing he probably knew that with new ownership coming in, if if there was another opportunity out there, he was probably lured away in a way that he might not have been in the past, perhaps. Absolutely. I don't know. I think he was being proactive. Yeah, proactive. Instead of waiting to find out if he was one of the guys on right. the shopping block. It's a good way to put it. And then, uh, lo and behold, about a week later, uh, we see that uh, some of the top-level management people in the UFC were being laid off. Um uh, Marshall Zelnick was uh, let go, and uh, one of the other uh, Gary Cook. Gary Cook, yes, one of the other European guys, um, guys who were basically running foreign uh, offices for the UFC, and uh, uh, a really uh, woman um, 
that was involved in uh, a lot of the social media stuff, Shanda, yep. who um, was a, seemed to be a real personal favorite of a lot of people, uh, oh, a yeah, lot of fighters yeah, in the UFC. Yeah. I yeah. never met anybody that didn't like her. Yeah, right, right. She, yeah, she, exactly. She's like one of those people uh, that you just start hearing all the fighters kind of lamenting the fact that she would uh, would be moving on. But for me, uh, to, to respond to the question, Ryan, this, I don't, I don't like this stuff. I mean, I don't. And when I say this stuff, I mean any kind of like this is the part of corporate culture that I don't like. And I've experienced it in radio. Like it as soon as I was reading this stuff, I was like, oh, man, this is like when in the old days of radio, when like um, uh, a, a parent company would sell a cluster of radio stations to a new corporation and that corporation comes in and they have all their own people that they want to start putting in place. And so what would happen to me on the radio, like my first uh, radio gig in Dallas, I, I mean, it was such a, it was such an educational experience to say the least, because I had, um, I had a, a, a nighttime show, uh, Frank, I was on, Five days a week, uh, like 7 to 11 p.m. What was the and, show called? Uh, it was called Big Dick's Wild Ass Circus. <laughs> if you need clarification. Um, and the thing is, is that ratings were good. Um, you know, I was always getting like a ratings bonus, so good sign on that. They're obviously making money if they're paying me more money. And relatively speaking, I was the most affordable guy at the station. Because, you know, your morning, your afternoon drive, that's, you know, those are guys are obviously going to be paid more and more people listening. So I had a false sense of security thinking, oh, well, gosh, you know, I'm I'm not very costly to the station compared to a lot of those guys. So I'm not really worried about my gig. And uh, so what happens, what what happened was when this when the the company that owned the stations was sold to another company, the new company had management people. So our management people started fearing for their own jobs, trying to show every place they could cut costs. So when the new people came in, they were like, hey, look, you know, essentially what they were saying is, look, before you fire me, let me show you everywhere I've cut money, right? And so I was one of the, they actually replaced me at night with like pre-recorded programming. So it saved my salary, you know, so the middle management guy who was my boss, that program director, could sort of try to save his job by going, hey, knew you guys were coming, so I got you a present. Let me show you where I've, you know, cut costs around here. And that's where, in corporate culture, in my experience, a lot of people lose gigs that, on paper, it's hard to explain how much they mean to an organization, like for example, how how what do you think Burt Watson's job looked like on paper? On paper, yeah, no, I understand See what exactly. I mean. And and imagine trying to explain to somebody who had never, and of course Burt was was let go for other reasons a while back. But imagine new, let's say Burt's still there, right? And new ownership comes in, and on paper they go, uh, "Who's the uh, who's the guy that's sort of doing the generic production job?" having never met him and you would be like oh no 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 you you don't understand this guy's one of a kind this guy we he's irreplaceable we won't be able to find anybody else like him but how do you describe that on paper see what i mean and the problem i think is going to be in any new ownership situation that a lot of it is going to be what's on paper as compared to what's you know 
the intangibles? Well, I think for the overall sport of MMA, I think that uh, other organizations are going to have an opportunity to grow right now. Because mm-hmm. uh, leading to what you're saying, there's so many people now that they're replacing that I firsthand know do jobs that are not necessarily what's on paper. They yes. go above and beyond you know, and work hours, their, their salary, and they're working many more hours than they should have. Mm-hmm. And uh, they understand the sport. They've been in it long enough. They've kind of grown with it. And now to try to just erase that and plug somebody else in, um, there's going to be a definitely a, a, a growing period, you know, of change. And um, you see with anything else. I mean, what professional sports team, when they shake up their roster, immediately are contenders? Mm-hmm. It never happens. Mm-mm. It's when you're talking about like the season where they just kind of blow it up. Yeah. Yeah. Change and it's everything like rebuilding. Up. That's so the rebuilding. phrase they always use. So right, right now, you know, the UFC is going to do a rebuilding, you know, uh, venture. And uh, I think you're going to see that uh, it changes how the UFC is the next couple of years. And I see it as an opportunity for other shows out there, a Bellator, World Series of Fighting, a Risen, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the different, you know, companies that, you know, compete in the same areas. And uh, I think that we're going to see it uh, to level out a little bit more of the playing field. You know what, though? That that could be the case if those other companies are willing to put money in. And that's that's the second part of this equation. You know, will uh, um, will uh, uh, oh, the the company that owns uh, CBS. The Viacom? Viacom. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, of course, in turn has a ownership stake in Bellator. Right. Will that company, I mean, in, 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 re, in theory, Viacom has more money than the Fertitas would have oh, yeah. ever had. But it's not like it was just blank check, you know, how much is it going to cost to make Bellator the number one MMA promotion in the world? I mean, they were never anywhere close to being willing to put that kind of money into it. So will people uh, high up on the, the, the ladder at a place like Viacom realize – this the, the shuffling of the deck. Yeah, exactly. Will they realize this is the I time I could imagine they're not. They're, I mean, I don't have a business degree, and I see it as an opportunity that if the, the guys across the pond are, you know, are reshifting and moving around um, positions and putting new people into places, and I see that now they're cutting down the amount of shows that they're going to do. That was the next thing I was going to bring up. It looks like they're uh, trying to reduce the number of shows in 2017. And less international presence. Yeah. I mean, all kinds of things that I see as a sign of, all right, let's time, you know, if there's ever been a time to pump money into your company yeah. and try to push, I think this is the greatest time to try to do so. And then also, I mean, I don't know what kind of non-compete clauses some of the employees have uh, being released, but talk about a great opportunity to pick up people that obviously know the business and they're working for the, you know, one of the number one companies. And Well, that's and true. Now, that's obviously, true. they're looking for jobs. And I think that's that was probably, uh, you know, part of the forethought of the new ownership to make sure they had Dana White locked down, you know, because he isn't going anywhere. He's part of the new deal. True, but and, he's one piece and takes an army. True, but in terms of visibility, oh, like yeah. if, for, from a perception standpoint, if you wanted to make it look like, we struck while the iron was hot. If he was floating around out there as a free agent, you talk about just face no. value, literal no. face value. That would be suicidal to let him go. But. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody, uh, by the way, somebody on the uh, live stream is suggesting a better mic setup. We're going to get, so if you're watching the live feed, What's this is, well, here's the thing. This is not the audio that you hear on the podcast. Oh. So he's, they're watching the live feed. So for the time being, they're getting the built-in camera 
uh, microphone. That's we still need to figure out how to hook the yeah, which is not bad. It, it's not bad, but I I hear you. Uh, what we're planning to do, I think we're probably going to have to bring out the big mixing board again because I can feed the. Uh, the big mixer into the camera in a way that we can't do with the the little guy. Yeah. So, you know what you've got? Okay. So, um, Frank here at stately mirror manor, Frank has a, uh, 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 I guess it's like a A wine cellar. It's meant to be a walk-in wine cellar. Yeah. It has like this sort of Gothic, like iron door on it. Very impressive looking. It's a um, great closet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, but you're not a big wine drinker and you were telling me that Well, I drink wine, but yeah. if I were to f- buy and fill up that whole Yeah. I, I'd have enough wine to last me my my life and the next. Yes. So, uh you have way more guns than you have wine bottles, yeah. bottles of wine. I guess I get more enjoyment from shooting things than drinking. Yeah. So your idea was that you might turn that into like a uh like an armory. armory. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, sit it down that way now when I clean a weapon mm-hmm. or if I'm working on something, trying to put on a new uh, uh, a site system or whatever, mm-hmm. um, I have to basically, uh, when I'm done, you have to clean up after yourself and lock everything away. There is no leaving the rifle out on the table. Oh, right. And so, um, you know, it would be nice if I had worked an area where I could shut the door and lock it and it'd be completely enclosed mm-hmm. to where if, when I was done working on a firearm, if I was in the middle of it and, you know, mm-hmm. time for dinner or whatever, I didn't have to stop, put everything away back in the safes before i you know was done i could just walk out lock the door and and know that it was boy it's amazing how sometimes there's just commonality between the 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 40 year old and the the four-year-old you know what i mean like in terms of i guarantee you at some point at four years old your mom was like time for dinner put leave leave put your toy away for a second you know Uh, i'm not that kid oh you weren't that kid no i was always messy oh okay Okay, but it was not a big deal if you left the uh, the Hot Wheels laying out. True. Probably a bigger deal if you leave the gun. Yeah, every once in a while, Dad might step on a car and you know <laughs> chew you out for it. But as opposed to blowing his toe off, when yeah, he steps on still kind of uh, not the same level of leaving a, a weapon. the firearm. Let's talk some guns. You want to talk some guns? Oh, always. I have a gun question for you. Okay, so uh, election day, of course, is coming up uh, November eighth. And in addition to electing a new president and uh, some, you know, senators, and congressmen, depending on where you live and all that sort of thing. Um, here in uh, in uh, Nevada, we have a proposition on the ballot. It's called Prop 1. And the question that is before us, Frank, is uh, – whether or not we want to close the proverbial gun show loophole. Now, what that means is uh, if, if I want to buy a firearm right now, if I go to a gun dealer, I am subject to a background check, yes? Correct. Okay. If I go to a gun show and there is a licensed dealer there, I'm subject to a background check. Correct. But right now, as it stands, if you want to sell me one of your guns uh, here at the house— uh, and I'll just give you some cash before I leave or whatever. Private dealer to private dealer. Right. No background check. Yeah. Right? No, that's, that's definitely uh, – that's why I don't understand why they call it the gun show loophole. Well, I think also because there's nothing that says to be at the gun show you have to be a licensed dealer, is there? You know, every time I've ever bought a firearm from the gun show, yeah. I've walked up and they do the background checks there. Okay, because they would be a licensed dealer. But you could, for example, as a private – uh, owner yeah. sell me a gun in the parking lot 
True. Someone could meet you out in the parking lot, a private owner could sell you a weapon. Yeah. Or they can go in, buy it from a dealer. They can go through the background check, and uh, technically that's illegal to do that with the mm-hmm. intentions of doing it. Mm-hmm. I just don't think there's really a way to enforce that. Right, because it, who's to prove intent? Like, let's say what? what let's yeah, say if I bought a gun for two hundred bucks. I walk outside. Yeah. Well, fuck. The guy offered me five hundred. Yeah. I, I'm going to double my money, go back in, and buy a better gun. Right. Right. So it's to to close technicalities like that, and probably well-meaning people, it's not an issue with. But where that could come into uh, uh, a, a problem. Let's say that I'm your shady buddy who can't pass a background check. So uh, you go to the gun show, you buy the gun I want, you use your clean background check, and then you just happen to run into me on the way out. Maybe a scenario like that. So I guess, so the point, the the question before us is, uh, as Nevadan voters, do we want to close that? Do we want to, now, Here's uh here's who would be subject to the background checks. It would be the the private dealers selling to each other or the friend to friend. It would still exempt either immediate family members. So if you wanted to hand a gun down to your uh, one of your sons or your daughter, let's say, it, it exempts that. It exempts if you wanted to leave it to someone. If you wanted to will it to them, you could do that without a background check on the person that you're well, I think also short-term loaning, you know? Short-term loaning, yes. Yeah, so you you know, I'm going to go hunting, and maybe yes. the, the whatever game I'm hunting, I don't mm-hmm. have the appropriate setup or, or weapon system for. It exempts and that. Someone, I can loan me their 308, and I can... You know, right, you can loan me a gun if we go to the gun range or something like that. It even It's, it's funny because, I mean, they think everything. I was reading the, uh, you know, the real specifics of the, the proposed law, and it even says in there that another thing we're exempt from is if our lives are in immediate danger so like if you just throw me the gun because we're under attack you can do that and it's okay okay <laughs> so know how when that actually happens but all right yeah so uh you know i guess it's like if we were under siege you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't start to so hand me a weapon and go happens. wait a second you haven't i haven't run a we background check on you yet yeah right. yeah um that would probably be my excuse to not get involved in the fray i'd be like i don't i haven't sorry frank i'd love to protect the homestead but you know i haven't had the background check okay so as a as a non-gun owner, I look at this, and I don't see the problem with it. Um, as a gun owner, do you see a problem with it? Um, you know, it, it adds more of a, a pain in the ass element as far as uh, more paperwork, and mm-hmm. it's going to raise taxes somewhere to pay for the extra uh, individuals going to take because now all the extra background. I mean, somebody's working on the end of the end of that phone. Mm-hmm. to do their job and so you're going to need more of those individuals working for the government so i realize that that's some of the things are going to be added to it um what it eliminates uh how many bad guys are getting you know and committing crimes with weapons they were able to obtain illegally and um you do find you see a lot of these guys that uh own firearms that probably should never you know you look at it and go right. wow this guy's a you know a felon and how did he have a gun on him mm-hmm. um you know i think just the shooting we saw recently here at the starbucks the guy was a, f- uh, a, f- a felon who had had firearms on him mm. um the problem is is i think again you know uh it makes sense the law as far as the amount of impact because i always wonder about that people make laws because they sound great to your your mm-hmm. your constituents, but they might not exactly actually have any application in, in reality. For example, you know, um, making this proposition one go forward, 
um, the people that are going to still uh, buy guns and, and, and have them legally, they're going to go through the process and it's going to add to their inconvenience. But the uh, the dipshit who shouldn't have a gun, mm-hmm. they're still going to get a hold of them. I mean, people rob cars all the time. They, uh, you know, you'll have somebody who's willing to go ahead and, you know, if he really wants to make money, all he has to do is report the gun stolen and give it to his buddy. And if, if his buddy doesn't want to have a background check, mm-hmm. that's an easy. I mean, to me, right there, through one movement, I can eliminate the whole uh, obstacle. I can walk out to my car. Mm-hmm sell this guy a gun for twice what it's worth so that I can make money on it. Yep. And if I know he can't go through a background check, I just walk back in and go, hey, I left the gun out in the car. Would you know it? Somebody just bashed my window in. or yeah, you know, I, I had yeah, my, Somehow yeah. they got into my car and they stole the gun. Yeah. Because there's no penalty in having your gun stolen. Yeah. So right there, That's like my friends, we've added all this right. extra paperwork and really for the bad guys, it's not even going to be a speed bump. So, well, so the scenario you were describing is kind of like, remember when my friends would drink underage, they'd pay the guy like twice what the beer costs to go into the convenience store and come back out and give them the beer, kind of like yeah, that, and right? If I was to be the guy who wanted to give alcohol to underage teenagers, mm-hmm. well, that's fine. Give me the money. Walk in. You buy it. You walk out and go, I'm going to set it on my car, and I'm going to walk back in and get a back of matches. Yeah, and then it's, I never yeah. gave it to anybody. Yeah. You know, oh, right. did someone take it? What is there a law against not leaving it on the, the hood of my right. car? Right, right. Um, All right. I so, mean, so with a little bit of thought, you really circumvent the system, and to me it just adds another law that really it just it's more paperwork, more money to us as the taxpayers, mm-hmm. to the people that pay their taxes. Well, tell me then if uh, – stop me if my, my logic is flawed here, but as you describe that to me – one thought I have is it narrows the different possible – let's say we have a bad guy and something bad has happened. Somebody's, somebody's done something wrong and we got to find that bad guy. It sounds to me like if we had these background checks expanded, it would narrow the possible ways that the bad guy got the gun. So I wouldn't have to ask myself, well, wait a second – was it was this a gun that was handed down? Was it sold private dealer private owner to private owner? You know, it would it would reduce the I guess the number of plausible explanations yeah, for how that gun ended. Because one thing you want to do, it's kind of like whenever there's there's a crime and you don't know for sure who did it, you're just trying to eliminate suspects as quick as you can. So, I get it, but it's like if you're walking through doors, and I'm like, all right, I, right now I have four doors in my house that the bad guys are getting in through. Yes. And I can nail up three of them. Okay. I still have the same amount of bad guys in my house. They just come through one door now. Well, that's true. Right, because there's no way I can still stop that one door. That's true, but knowing you and your pragmatism, wouldn't you nail up? The three and just focus on the one? Well, because then I can do something about the people coming through the one door. Yes. But if there's nothing you can do about it, like that door is a blind eye. Okay. What I'm telling you, the loophole of just saying yes. your gun was stolen, yes. it's a blind eye. No, I follow. But so what I'm saying whereas is- there is no, so you're right. In that scenario where I could actually now focus all my energy on the one door. That's what I'm saying. But in the, 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 the scenario I laid out with the stolen gun, mm-hmm. how do you focus any more energy on that? You right. can't. It's, it's a complete right. blind. Uh, hole. You know, right. there's no, there's, it's a loophole that just, you know, if I figured that out as a, a law-abiding citizen, mm-hmm. you're telling me that the scumbag who makes a living off of being a badass, you know, being a, a an outlier of society, he's mm-hmm. not going to think of that instantaneously? No. And if anything, probably create a whole new revenue of money for people willing to go out there and buy guns and, and illegally uh, distribute them. Yeah, but the, I, I guess I feel like, and, you know, I say, you know, I, I told you this a couple of weeks ago, I'm actually thinking 
as an exercise for the show about purchasing a gun. Oh, I don't sure. I don't know if I'll actually load it, but uh, <laughs> but I know I'll tell you what I want to do is I want to see just how difficult this is because I said to you and you agreed I said to me I'm the kind of person I would want being able to buy a gun. Clean criminal record, responsible. Yeah. Okay. So so if I go through the process and I don't find it unreasonable, then I'm going to think we're probably right about where we need to be. Correct. Um, because here's the other thing, too. When you talk about, like, eh, it's going to create more expense, and yeah, I get it that that's all true, but I don't necessarily want that to be the most affordable thing going. I'm not saying I want people priced out of owning a gun, but if you have to, it's kind of like it costs money to have a driver's license. I understand that. Like everybody can afford it, but it's not absolutely free. And and when we think about driver's licenses, the reason we have those, I mean, you're talking about government regulation and ways to trace you and find you and all the rest of that. We have licenses and and insurance laws, not for the responsible people, but for uh, the idiots who may be driving next to you. Because I want, you know, if, if somebody out there has four DWIs, I want that recorded so that they can't go to some neighboring state and get a driver's license. I want that protection. Well, I think there's a lot of correlations you could draw between the arguments. Mm-hmm. How much does us having a license keep people that shouldn't have a license from driving cars mm-hmm. all I, the time? I people think who, so. Well, no, I actually don't know how much it really affects anybody because I, when I worked at the club, I worked around all kinds of people of all different uh, walks right, of life. Right. And there was people there that made a living doing things that were definitely under the table. Mm. And they drove cars and had no license. Car mm-hmm. wasn't registered. And they did it for months and years upon a time. And they would get caught, pay their penalties, and then go right back to doing what they were doing. Yeah, but so then I, I also, maybe kind of sit there and go, man, I got to go sit at the line of the DMV, and what is this actually doing to help out society? Yeah, I. Uh, so I mean, I guess that's the thing when I talk about raising taxes to, to enforce a law. Yeah, it's like you know, it's like uh, anything in life. If I'm going to do something, I guess it's from an, I, I guess I'm kind of an economist at heart. Mm-hmm. Okay, if we do this, mm-hmm. how much will this help us? You know, like for example, I, if we got rid of hundred dollar bills, mm-hmm. I think that would have a large impact on crime. Hmm. In what way? Well, because most criminal uh, transactions occur with cash, uh-huh. and hundred dollar bills is the easiest way to have large monetary exchanges. You imagine trying to do a drug deal with one dollar bills, mm-hmm. or if everything was done just with bank cards and with mm-hmm. you know your phone, there would be a legal transaction. Mm-hmm. So now people who do things illegally would have a much harder time doing things. You know what my idea, speaking of U.S. currency, is to stimulate the economy. Um, why is it that lap dances have cost $20 for the last 30 yeah, years? Up, huh? You know why they Did don't they go cost up? 20 bucks 30 years ago? Yeah. Oh, see, I, well, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, that's right, youngin. <laughs> Even back in my day, they still cost $20. Yeah, 20 bucks, huh? But here's why. Because there's a $20 bill, and then the next thing up is a $50 bill. So if for it to just be one bill, you would have to increase the price by two and a half times. So you know what my solution is? The the mint issues the lap dance thirty. Yeah. And they call it that. It's a new bill, it's a thirty dollar bill specifically <laughs> uh implemented to uh raise the price of la- a, a much overdue price increase. Well, up that to thirty dollars. Do everything through credit cards and through bank statements. Well no, you can't there's can... no place to 
the those, chip. Yeah, I mean, you think swiping was bad. Now we got those chips. You don't uh, want people trying to insert things. But in again, an going back to time. if you got rid of like, there's something that I think that if someone did would have a very good impact. Mm-hmm. How to be a prostitute when everybody only has one dollar bills, or they have to use their credit card, or use their phone, or their bank statements. Speaking of prostitution, you're not you, going to go get no thousand. Yeah. Can you imagine she's walking out with a purse full of? <laughs> Speaking of prostitution, you you may not have heard about this, but uh, in my day job, I too work around some uh, from time to time unsavory characters. And you have the opportunity to use credit cards and check, you know, right? We do. So but, the hundred dollar bill thing wouldn't affect you guys because it's a legal business, right? But speaking of the uh, the the drivers with no licenses, I from time to time come across a girl that's doing this exact same thing. Uh, but what I can say firsthand is, yeah, they do drive with a suspended license for, you know, or car that's not registered or whatever for lengthy periods of time. But I have also seen, though, when they get caught, it kind of throws their life into upheaval. I mean, because they can be jailed. I mean, I've seen girls go to jail for it. And then, you know, sometimes those fines, if they were unpaid, they accrue penalties and all the rest of that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not against it. I guess right now. Even as a, a gun advocate, I'm kind of sitting on the fence with Proposition mm-hmm. 1. Because at, at, at first, it makes logical sense. Like, well, you have to get a background check to buy it from a person who has an FFL. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't have to have one for private dealer to dealer. But then I just want to see, like, okay, well, show me where the numbers are that says that this is really going to have an impact mm-hmm. in what it's going to cost me as far as extra taxes is it really going to benefit us on the bottom line of crime because it seems Mm -hmm. like that's the whole goal of doing this that that's your initiative to to propose this law is that i'm going to have an impact on the wrong people owning guns having those guns and is there going to be an impact or if they're the same to me it's like so we added more red tape and all the bad guys that have guns still get the guns like so now uh, it seems like it's just extra weight upon the you know the good Samaritan, the, the the you and I who you know abide by society's laws. Yeah, it's a problem for us, extra for us, but not necessarily any hindrance to the bad guy who the law is supposed to be aimed at. Let me float this idea then. Um, would there be an argument to be made though that if let's just take somebody like me, I'd probably be a good example of this because I was just saying I've never owned a gun before. Let's say let's say Prop One passes, okay. And then I decide I'm going to buy a gun after that. So in the past, whereas I could maybe just buy one of your extra ones or something with no background check, um, I'll have to go to, even if you're going to sell me that gun, we'll have to go to the licensed dealer and do the background check. What happens to all the people that already bought guns from private dealers? Oh, I don't think it changes anything. I think so how do they know a gun was in. bought then or the uh, well, I guess you'd, just, you'd be breaking the law if you sold me your gun privately here at the house after the proposition passed, I would I wonder guess. how they would know, though. Well, If you're not an undercover agent buying a gun from me, how are they going to know when you bought that gun? True. Um, yeah. I mean, I, and, and maybe there's an answer to that in the law that I don't, without having it right here in front of me, don't yeah. know. But, um, but what I was going to say is, and that's a good question, maybe that would be yet another loophole. But my thought was, as somebody who does not own a gun, a gun, but let's say I'm about to own my first gun, I'm thinking that might actually draw me into the gun owner's, gun buyer's economy having to engage in that registration process. Because what are we going to do? As opposed to you selling me one in the garage, 
we're going to go to the licensed gun dealer, which means I'm going to see all the guns, which means you're going to show me some guns, which you see what I'm saying? Like, it's kind of like you're taking me to the, uh, I, you know, you could hand me one of your old comic books or you could take me to the comic book shop. What's going to probably get me more engaged in reading comic books if I'm just seeing wall-to-wall comic books? So I'm wondering if it couldn't maybe actually end up being a good thing for the 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 gun culture economy because people will actually be drawn into the 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 commercial side of it. Or oh, it could hurt it. There's a whole. I have a friend that that's what they do. They, they buy and sell guns. Mm-hmm. They will purchase a gun and then you know they move it around and they you know. Uh, uh, they they do a lot of gun trading back and forth, and mm-hmm. you know the guy the collectors are, are are like that. You know they want a certain gun in their thing, and they're like, well, I have this one, and I can go back and forth. So I don't know. I don't know if it's one of those laws being passed again that just because it sounds good and it makes sense, common sense, like, hey, well, we're just going to do this. And it's like, all right, well, what does it really mean though? Besides, it sounds nice. Mm-hmm. Does it actually have any kind of merit to it? Well, the 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 uh, the opposition, which of course you know the the NRA always leads, um, the opposition that I have heard, like the the conversation you and I are having, is actually the most thought out conversation I've heard any any people have to pat ourselves on the back. But I mean, anybody who might even possibly be in opposition to Prop One, I haven't heard anybody articulate your depth of thought on this and that's to your credit because the the argument that i usually hear against it is the slippery slope argument that, which i don't like i don't like slippery slope arguments um it's the all it's the old well where are we going to draw a line you know well if it's not black and white and we start getting into gray then uh, how, who knows how many shades of gray we're going to have to interpret and i always say listen as a society we draw lines all the time. There's there's very few examples when it comes to law. It's like drawing the age of legal consent at 18 and going, well, slippery slope. Where are we going to draw the line? Well, we drew the line at 18. There's a reason we made it 18 and not 14. We need you know? to change legal drinking age. There's a lot I would stand behind. Okay, but that's what. I'm, but but if we talk about changing it. The reasoning behind changing it, it won't be, oh, 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 are we going to draw the line? Are we going to have 10-year-olds getting drunk? No. There's an argument that we're making why it should change to 18 as opposed to 21. Focus on the specific argument and not the old, where are we going to draw the line cop out? I think individuals that invoke that argument means that they really don't have anything to save them from this argument. Mm -hmm. So they're going to say, well, if we pass this, where is this going to go? And you're right. I'm not much into that either. I, you, to me, whenever someone tells that to me, you know, we're slippery slope. Where's it going to go next? I'm like, well, I guess we'll have to just, yeah, yeah, bring that to attention when that comes, and we'll weigh we, the good and the bad, and we'll make another law. We've been Whether doing we, it for 250 years almost. Yeah, and I agree with you. The slippery and, slope's a bad argument. And, and another reason that it's bad is because, in terms of gun ownership, you know, they they always prey on this fear idea that, oh my God, this is the they're rounding up the guns. This is how they're going to do it. You know, it's their first of all, they're getting everybody registered so they know where everybody is, and then they're going to come for for the guns. But my question is, if if we're already towing this puritanical line when it comes to you know NRA philosophy, why can I not have a rocket launcher? I might need a rocket launcher, Frank. If ISIS tries to invade my home and they have a rocket launcher. Am I? Are you tell me that you're okay with the terrorists out arming me? I need to be able to defend myself. Why can't I have a rocket launcher? True. I think we, I, we draw I might, a line. I might need some weapons-grade plutonium. 
What if they show up with a dirty bar? Are you telling me? Biological have, have, have you not read the Second Amendment? I am entitled to be well armed. You know, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's like, it's funny because it, I mean, it sounds funny because it is funny. I mean, it's, yeah, okay. We're not going to uh, arm anybody with, uh, with plutonium or a rocket launcher, but that's just because there's no rocket launcher stores. That's just because you know ted nugent isn't posing with a rocket launcher the way that he is whatever you know machine gun he's with on his poster i mean it's like it that whole slippery slope thing that's another one that you can you can walk in a particular direction far enough until it becomes ridiculous and yeah. I, I just don't think our society actually well, i think most people are just you know i think common goes both ways we're used to a certain temperature of what wherever we're acclimated mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. and whether you try to increase gun laws or decrease gun laws you're going to have people straining because people just kind of want to stick to what they're used to yeah i think anytime you know like for example people don't really freak out that they don't have grenades in their house right i think it's because they're used to never even having access to that mm-hmm. uh, so i think that that's just a custom so i think that you know individuals now having access to some weapons that they have if that was ever limited more so, you know, anytime we've had assault weapon bans or a high-capacity magazine, you know, individuals have struggled with it because, you know, we, we had it, you know. And then to go backwards is yeah. always, uh, you know, always going to be a battle, tooth and nail. I think that's what – you're right. I think that's what it is. But I also think and, – and you and I have had these conversations before, again, to your credit – in my opinion, is when you look at things like high-capacity clips and all that, you said it to me at one point. You said it's basically making bad shots able to mm-hmm. do more damage in a shorter period of time before the right person, the proverbial good guy, can deal with them. Absolutely. Um, you know, if a guy has a 30-round magazine, like I, I as a gun owner, I don't have a problem with any kind of uh, ban on high-capacity magazines. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want it to be extreme. I don't want to weld my magazine into my my uh, my AR-15 and make mm-hmm. it to where it can only hold five rounds. That's not you know any fun. I like to have a detachable magazine, but ten rounds. Uh, if you train with a weapon, you're pretty dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are just some idiot that goes and buys a gun and plans on doing a bunch of bad shit. Uh, the more rounds you can pull the trigger on before you have to try to reload, uh, more damage you can cause. Because, you know, reloading a weapon under stress, that takes training. Mm-hmm. You know, no one just watches a video and picks that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, that's an argument that actually I'm on the side of people that are more conservative with firearms, you know, uh, as far as, you know, it's just hard to argue against it. The only reason why you want a high-capacity magazine, you know, to me is I find them fun at the range. Less times I have to reload. But if at the cost of human life, if you want to start talking, then I'm, I'm you know, I'm more than uh, you know, open-eared, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'll listen to what people have to say. Uh, and, you know, and I know that I've, uh, you know, we've gotten it sometimes on our social media, you know, when I've made jokes about, you know, we're not really trying to stockpile arms against the military. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's really is my mentality. I'm really not trying to defend myself from the National Guard. If they come in, you know, they have Bradleys and Abrams and, you know, they have drones, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're pretty, you know, that's a pretty big battle that we're going to have to uh, have and, and the casualties. And uh, I'm just hoping that our government, you know, uh, never comes to that. But uh, what I have seen happen on our soil is, uh, 
you know, power goes out, natural disaster, people really quickly turn into scumbags, yeah. you know, and they not only they start looting, they start raping. I mean, you go to, you know, uh, look at uh, Katrina, the situation down there that happened down in, uh, 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 down south. Um, people were getting killed and, and raped and, you know, looted. And so my firearms and my protection is the mentality to save myself against other civilians that uh, given the circumstances have lost their mind and I'm there just to remind them on my wife's my wife, my children and my children. And if you try to hurt them or take mm-hmm. them away from me, I'm going to end your existence. Here's uh, Ryan Mullen checking in on our Facebook page. Mr. Mirror and Mr. Hunter. Oh, gosh, no reason to be so formal. Is there a way to track every weapon by GSP? I think he means GPS. I don't know that George St. Pierre is in charge of monitoring this. Although uh, that would be that would be a way for him to pick up a little extra cash while he's figuring out this fight thing. Uh, is there a way to track every weapon by GPS through the weapon serial number, or if there was? Do you think there would be a ben- that would be a beneficial idea? Do you think people would say that's intruding? on their rights. Sorry if that's a weird question. Not a weird question at all. Um, do I? Yes. Actually, I have would... first-hand experience in that. Uh, okay. There's a, a, a Rhino. Uh, it's a handgun. Uh, actually, two of them are really interesting-looking revolvers. Mm-hmm. I, I, I purchased two. Um, don't like the way they fire, though, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. It's a double-action type. Because really you didn't want the one Rhino to be lonely. You want him to have a friend. Well, I bought a set. I bought a six-inch oh. barrel and a two-inch barrel. Oh. I wanted to make this whole thigh rig thing. I thought uh-huh. it was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyways, uh, uh, it's an Italian-made weapon. And for as far as tracking purposes, they put a GPS inside the uh, uh, handle of the weapon. Mm-hmm. And it was more or less so that way when it ran through their uh, – the conveyor belt, you know, their shipping system or the factory getting ready to go out, that the machine would register, yes, this gun is going over here. Mm. But then uh, there was a huge outcry on the Internet that I saw when I first discovered this mm-hmm. that uh, people were freaking out. that like, well, you could basically now track that gun. Someone would know if you walked in their building, this and that. And, and a lot of people had problems with it, uh, you know, again, going on the privacy. And, and uh, it's one of those things that the good guys are going to you're going to know what guns they have. But anybody who's a scumbag that gets a hold of this, yeah. they're just going to pull the handle off, smash the, the that- chip on it. That being said, how many of those guys that are so freaked out about their gun privacy are going to have cell phones in their back pocket when they walk into these buildings with their weapon concealed? Because guess what? You're trackable. That Unless you do a cash pay uh, <laughs> with your cheapo phone. Oh, yeah. you can get a nice phone. You just pay cash. You don't have to put your name on it. Oh, with your like your burner phone. Yeah, God, you are so seedy, Frank. You know all the you know all the the. Back I'm on the doors. internet a lot about the dark net and figuring out how to you know. <laughs> all right, so you I, have to be aware of everything. Remember, I always yes. talk about that martial arts. If yes. you don't know something, regardless if you want to go down that stretch of life, yeah. I like to know about as much as about different things in life I can. Yeah, you know. Yeah. All right, so I have another uh, another gun question I wanted to ask you then uh, before we uh, we we wrap this part of it. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot because uh, and we'll we'll have to talk a lot more on uh, phone booth fighting about the uh, the political campaign. I'm in the process of running right now for Dennis Hoff, the guy that owns the the bunny ranch. Yeah, he's uh, he's running as a libertarian. If you don't know this story in uh, Nevada, Assembly District 36, the Democrats aren't running a candidate in that district. So it's just him and the incumbent tax that was raised. right? That's right. Him and the incumbent Republican. He's running against that guy. And the Republican uh, incumbent is under fire because he voted in favor of the commerce 
commerce tax, which is a big tax that okay. so, uh, corporations. Who does that commerce tax actually affect? It affects corporations in Nevada that make more than $4 million huh. in a year. So not exactly your struggling mom and pop. What, it, what it's really targeted to do, what it's really targeted to do is to hit these companies that incorporate here but don't exist here because Nevada doesn't have a state income tax. Correct. There are uh, my, my friend Joe Francis from uh, Girls Gone Wild. I mean, Girls Gone Wild was incorporated in Nevada for that reason. He didn't have an office in Nevada or anything like that, but they were incorporated here for, for that. So the idea was because uh, Nevada, in terms of the 50 states uh, ranking their uh, educational, public education systems, is ranked dead last. Dead last. 50th. 5-0, I think dumber than right? dumber than Mississippi. And Mississippi, don't they have it to where they teach creationism now? They're, yeah, they're trying hard for that fiftieth spot. I mean, oh. Mississippi is not happy. And we're not about even beating them. Forty eight or forty nine. Huh. No, Nevada <laughs> is uh, yeah. Nevada is. Uh, I know why my kids are in private school. That's right. <laughs> but um, because of this uh, campaign, and it's taken place in rural areas of Nevada. It, it just touches this district. Oh, yeah, that, I know a lot of people that have four million dollar plus corporations living out in yeah. their trailer in the middle of Nevada. <laughs> yeah, with their 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 $4 million meth lab. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, it's so, – so this district that he's running in only touches a small portion of Las Vegas. Not much at all. Really just a little corner of north Las Vegas. But for the most part, it covers these rural areas uh, like uh, Pahrump, uh, Beatty, Armagosa Valley, Tonopah. If if you don't live in Nevada, you don't even know these places that that I've mentioned. Uh, other than the fact that if you're a regular listener to Adam Carolla's podcast, from time to time he tells the story that Pahrump, Nevada, is like the most miserable place he's ever stayed in his life. He had to go out there for some like the Man Show was shooting some really, segment I, I've or been something. To some much worse places. I thought Pahrump was all right. I, uh, have you spent time in Pahrump? I did. My grandparents used to live out there. My mom. Is that so right? I have to visit. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I stayed out there. I stayed at the Saddle West a lot. Okay. All right. Yeah, it has gambling and drinking. I mean. Yeah. No, no. They're, 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 to say it's the worst is uh, is probably uh, some hyperbole. But um, At least you can wake up in the middle of the night and get a meal. Oh, that's true. I've been some places where I've landed and all of a sudden it's 9 o'clock and I need to go get a burger. Hey, you're screwed, I, I, buddy. I, I like you how you, you, you gauge your uh, surroundings by availability of food. <laughs> I'm very Hey, that's a caveman for you. Yeah. Uh, can I get water, food, and sleep? You know, shelter. Well, here's my question. Here's why I brought all this up, and here's why it, it relates to, to gun ownership. So doing these campaign events with him and stuff like that, we're spending a lot of place, a lot of time in these rural areas. And I am seeing a lot, and I mean a lot, of the open carry people. Yeah. People who go in with the the guns on both hips and I saw a guy the other day that had the gun on hip and then he had like two extra clips just in case all of ISIS okay. invades Perump. We call them time. magazines. Oh, they're they're magazines, yeah, not clips. Not clips. What is a clip? A clip is like an old World War One gun. Oh, okay. Where the the rounds are actually opened, you okay. can see them, and then they have like a metal slide that holds the uh, the back lip. Oh. 
and then you would is that just an antiquated term yeah people use it all the time but a magazine is actually what you use to feed the fire but that is something that people commonly they do i'm making a common mistake no you are it's a very common mistake yes okay so magazines um, we're talking about it enough that every time you do it, I'm doing it like, eh. Yeah, it was gotcha. only once or twice. Eh, right. but, you know, right. call I gotcha. it a magazine. Yeah. Uh, I'm still waiting to see. I'm, I'm convinced I'm going to see one of these guys out here at one point with the bandoleros, you know, the 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 ammunition belts, aren't those yeah. what those are called? Those cross things yeah. like the... Well, you have the kid up here in uh, Centennial area. He's walking around with an AR-15 doing uh, security, protecting his neighborhood. It was in the news. You didn't see that? No, he's a nice and, guy. Seems like, it. yeah. But we, you and I, talk about it. I mean, it's like here's, and I, I'm going somewhere with this open carry thing. I'm seeing these people out a lot, and I saw a guy. Uh, sounds like the beginning to a weird joke, but I saw a guy walk into a bar the other day because I was with Dennis on the campaign trail, and he was. Uh, glad handing in uh, in a rural county, and he was he walked he was in a bar in the middle of the day, you know, meeting some villagers and stuff, and saying, "Hey, vote for me." And I saw a guy walk in with the gun just strapped on his hip. Here was my thought, and here's the question I pose to you: Would you have a problem with restricting open carry in terms of intoxication? So what I mean is, what well, absolutely you would. Okay, so so let me let me draw this analogy. You're able to have a driver's license. You're able sure. to drive anywhere at any time, but you cannot drive drunk. So if you have gun on your hip, open carry. See, I you know what? Actually, you're asking me a question that I don't know the answer to because mm-hmm. I do know with a CCW, mm-hmm. um, I can't have my weapon on me. And be legally drunk at the same time. Okay. That's concealed. So that might actually already be part of the law. I think it already is part of the law. Great. I don't think I've ever really saw... I have never, in my experience, sat at a bar, and I've seen people walk in open carry. Yeah. I've lived in Vegas my whole life. Yeah. I can't recall any time I've ever seen anybody order a drink from a bartender and start... Pounding down okay. shots. Good. Hey, I hope that's the case. I hope that that's just. I'm, I don't know if I'm you could be guy if I didn't know that that was already a rule. I mean, it might just be the common sense in me speaking, but yeah. I already think that that's a. Law. You think that'd be a good law if there's not already a law like that? I want to make a phone call and find out for you. Okay. All right. I just. I think it's a. It we'll makes find a, out on the next just, one. I'll get you. Yeah. Uh, I'll call up Tyler or somebody else. Okay. Officer. In. Yeah, because I and I haven't seen anybody. Uh, you know, to to your point. Pounding. It's not like the guy came in and started pounding down drinks, but it did occur to me. I have seen people like at these things, like uh, we did a like a oh, it's kind of like a county fair or something. But um, you know, there were people walking around with guns on their hips and beers in their hand, and I thought, uh, you know, I'm not. It's not that I'm not necessarily. I'm necessarily okay with just the if that's your first beer, but is it? I don't yeah, know. I think with the CCW, I can drink a beer. But if mm-hmm. I'm intoxicated at all, point oh eight or over, mm-hmm. uh, I'm in trouble. Okay, well, good. I hope that's the case, and maybe we'll. Uh, yeah, I got to look into we'll that. We'll clarify a that. Yeah, I've never been somebody who wants to get smashed and carry a gun, so I never really thought about it. To be honest with you, good. I kind of figured that that's kind of a bad combination to be in my decision making mode yeah. and have access to a firearm at the same time. Just because I never wanted to pull a, a plexical barris and shoot myself in the fucking leg. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I interviewed him one time on my radio show. Oh, talked yeah? to him about that. Yeah. He was what weirded me out about that was that his 
his firearm was just sort of dangling in some sweatpants. Yeah. That seems like a. It seems like you'd want sturdier britches ah, if you're yeah. going to have your gun. Well, I think that goes along somebody that probably hasn't trained with a firearm yeah. and realized that, you know, having a gun is one thing, but can you get to it? You mm-hmm. know, how fast can you? Because my mindset is that I'm a good guy. Right. So if I get into a gun battle, I'm probably the last one to know that I'm about to be in a gun battle. Yes. Right? I mean, yes. I, I don't have the intentions of... The bad guys always have the element yeah, of surprise. They got, they're a step up. They're doing... That's right. They're breaking the law. They're making the first move, right? That's right. So to me, as a uh, a citizen who's in, in the right place at the right time doing mm-hmm. everything I should be doing, um, I'm probably going to be playing catch-up. Mm-hmm. So if I have to struggle and get to wherever my firearm is, um, those are probably counting greatly against me that, that few seconds of time or you know a few moments could be the meaning of between you know me living through this altercation and me dying yeah so uh having a proper rig where you can you know uh deploy your firearm is just as important as having one on you mm-hmm. yeah well that that all makes sense and to safety. me and- i mean i have my children i don't want to be in a situation where my gun falls down or you know yeah. i mean i think plus just as a responsible gun owner if I'm with somebody and your gun hits the ground, my respect for you just kind of yes. drops through the fucking right. floor. You yes. know, I'm like, dude, are yes. you an idiot? You know, yes. I mean, that's a that's a weapon. You know, like yeah. treat it with respect. You know, you don't yep. just throw it around and just you know, it's just uh, you're one of those guys that shouldn't have a gun. Yeah, no, I I, I absolutely agree. Let's not let's not forget Darwinism in this whole debate. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? If it only took out the person that was the idiot, I wouldn't mm-hmm. maybe no, be opposed totally. to it. But it seems like yeah. a lot of innocent people uh, become in harm from people that are idiots. But I mean, that's the thing. It's like um, it's not a status symbol. Maybe that's why I've been kind of mixed feelings about the whole open carry. Mm-hmm. You know, I realize it's a right that we have here in Nevada to carry openly. But then I always wonder, I'm like, okay, are you carrying that gun because it's a tool that you're going to use for the only reason that tool was invented was mm-hmm. to take life? Mm-hmm. And so, or are you doing it as a status symbol? Is it something that you want us all to know you have a gun, you're Billy Badass, and right. you know, you're, you're flaunting it? Well, and is the person with the person who has the gun, as I frequently am with you, I think I prefer that it's concealed on you. Yeah. Well, I think it's even better. From a tactical point of view, I think that's what I mean. mean, No, that's what I think. Almost everybody who knows who I am knows I'm an advocate of carrying a gun on you, right? But very few people, only you know, people that I'm close to, do I ever. And I've showed you how I deploy my weapons, where I carry them, why I carry them, you know. But for the most part, I don't want it to where some guy walks into Starbucks can look at me and gauge what I have, right? Where it is, how many rounds I have, right? What type of weapon it is, so they can understand the capabilities of what I have. You know, I want to kind of keep that a mystery. Yeah, know? I mean, for example, only I know that that in addition to any other weapon you may have on you, you always have the one that's strapped to your taint. <laughs> I'll edit that out later. Yeah, but uh, only the people on uh, live, live video heard your your secret. <laughs> but that's important, you know. Yeah, in case I ever get strip searched by the bad guys, right? <laughs> they throw me in the back of the van, and I still got a gun. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, did you? Uh, uh, Ace, did you check his taint? What? No, I thought you did. Bang! Who, who, who wants to go there? You know? So, okay. So, Unless they get kidnapped by some real liberal <laughs> guys from San Francisco, and then I might be screwed in more ways than one. In case you're kidnapped by the Sibonese Liberation Army? <laughs> yeah. 
I was so glad. First place they check. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> I was so glad. If anybody listened to our, uh, I think it was our first road trip broadcast coming back from EBI, the first time we went out there, like the first part of the summer. It might have even been like in May or something. I was so happy I was the person who got to tell you what the Sibonese yes. Liberation Army I was. I had never heard about it before. <laughs> it's a great story because it's just some guy. And then, and then I was like, so what does the name stand for? You're like, yeah. absolutely nothing. Yeah, he just he came up Made with Made up a, a word that sounded cool. Sounded very, I'm like, no. And then I'm looking it up on my phone. I'm like, fuck, man, you're dead serious. Yeah, you had a cool logo and uh, just kind of invented a whole uh, persona that, uh, that, that didn't exist. And next thing you know, he had the... Uh, the attention of Patty Hearst. All right. Well, a programming note, Frank. Uh, we are going to 100% for Anybody, sure. Anybody uh, online had any interesting input on our guns? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, let's see. That might have been our last gun question. Uh, let's see. Here's Darren checking in. He says, uh, come to a seminar in Atlanta, Frank. Uh, and hell, bring Richard with you so I can tie him up in a few knots, maybe even bounce his head off the mat a few times. Just kidding, Rich. Love ya. All right. I'll, Actually, I'm working on that. You know, Ryan, who I did the interview with down there. Yeah, in, yeah. Ryan Ford, the yep. host of uh, Grappling Central Actually, podcast. Actually, I talked to him about that. Uh, great before podcast. he ends up living out in uh, Brazil uh-huh. sometime in the first of the year, I'm going to try to get out there. Oh, cool. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, Diamond Dallas Page is out there try as well. To redo, well, until the hip surgery, that's where I was planning on going in August. That's so. right. That's right. So we got to get out there and see our uh, Atlanta friends. So keep an eye out there. Keep listening to the uh, show, Darren, and we'll see if we can uh, get that together for you. Chris uh, Ramey checks in. He says, fundanything.com is still under maintenance. Yeah, we know about that, Chris. And, and actually, all of the merchandise has been uh, now permanently migrated to phoneboothfightingshop.com. So if you want to support the show that's the place to do it. Phoneboothfightingshop.com. We just put up a new t-shirt design today, so there's a couple of designs to choose from. You can also get a autographed uh, guns, podcast poster up there shooting? if you want. Uh, that is the very, I think it's the second week of December, our guy that signed up for that. Uh, did yeah. you tell uh, the wife? Yes? Mrs. Muir, the, uh, the sure. travel secretary. Yeah, yes, I told I her. Booked no, I told her. And it's actually like a early part of the week thing. Not like oh, okay, it's so, on our weekend. Yeah, but right. we're 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 good on that. But uh, what I was going to say is, uh, programming note: we are absolutely going to do two shows uh, this week because Frank doesn't have to go to Russia. And uh, our second show this week, the one that will upload Friday, is going to be a swap cast right out here on the patio of Stately Mirror Manor with none other than MMA Junkie's own John Morgan and Cole Coffey of their uh, MMA Roadshow podcast. John Morgan, uh, if, you, uh, you, if you're a hardcore MMA fan, you know uh, the guy that's always wearing the blue Absolutely. shirt right up front. He's, he's, sort of, he's like the Anderson Cooper of MMA media. You know, he's, he's the, I like John. Yeah, I, I do as well. Even before I became friends with him, as far as a journalist goes, you know, I've had a very short list of people that at the end of the interview, if I see after what they put out, mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's usually, they're like, I don't know why he doesn't return my phone calls. Uh-huh. I'm like, yeah, you know, hey, first time, shame on you, right? Yeah. No, John's a great guy. He and I are actually both from Dallas, and so uh, we, we go back quite a ways. But uh, him and, uh, and Kenny, uh, his co-host, are going to, they're going to come over Wednesday night, we tape Wednesday night. So actually, if you want to stream it live, we'll have the uh, webcam set up, uh, uh, streaming on our Facebook page at uh, Phone Booth Fighting. 
um, if you want to watch. And we'll have uh, the webcam set up. But they're going to come over uh, and set up, and uh, we're going to do a swap cast. We're going to air. It'll be a roundtable-style show, and um, we'll upload the audio to both of our feeds, both uh, Phone Booth Fighting and MMA Road Show. And these are always a lot of fun. You know, we've done these with um, uh, Paul, uh, with, uh, we did it with uh, Adam Hunter, uh, on MMA Roasted podcast, and uh, we uh, we did one with Fighter and the Kid too. I mean, there we we meant to sit down for an interview uh, with Fighter and the Kid, and we just ended up doing a whole podcast uh, uh, a number of months ago. So we've done this a couple of times, and it's it's a cool thing to do, and it's a way to just kind of introduce everybody to each other's listeners. So uh, we will be talking. We talked a lot of guns tonight and a little bit of MMA, but uh, suffice to say that uh, our second episode of the week is going to be a whole lot of MMA talk. Any more MMA news, though, besides the uh, UFC cutting out all their employees? Well, you know, Jose Aldo uh, stopped by the UFC offices apparently yeah, this week. Nothing came of it, Nothing right? came of it. They were just having a face-to-face meeting. Aldo is upset, of course, because uh, he did not get the Conor McGregor rematch. Uh, that was uh, that gave way to Eddie Alvarez uh, on that Madison Square Garden card, so he was upset about that. But, yeah, no... Uh, no news about that. I saw Ioana Janjacek is looking for new management. She's uh, parted ways with her management because I guess she's training out of uh, ATT. I think I saw that she's kind of hooked up with that camp. So she is courting management offers. If you're a uh, aspiring MMA manager out there, you ought to message her on Instagram or something and uh, see what you can get going. <laughs> not bad to pull out the champ, huh? No, not at all. Let's uh, talk about dates coming up. Uh, for me, comedy at the LA Comedy Club. Had a great show last night at the Stratosphere here in Las Vegas. I'll be back there this Sunday night. and Pretty much every Sunday night, uh, I've got a residency there now. So if you're going to be in Las Vegas uh, and you're here on a Sunday night, you want to see some uh, comedy, you want to be on my guest list, just hit me up on social media. It's at the Stratosphere Hotel and Casino uh, at the uh, north end of the Las Vegas Strip. I'd be happy to have you on my guest list simply because you are a listener to Phone Booth Fighting. Uh, Ryan just checked in. He said, did we hear that uh, Uriah Faber has announced that after uh, his next fight, which I think is a um, uh, fight night card, uh, he's going to retire? I did hear that. So he's got one more fight in him. He's a guy that's... He, you know, he looks like he's 18, so you don't think about him being as old as he is or having been around as long as he is. But it's only recently that Uriah Faber has started uh, losing non-title fights, albeit them still to, to top talent. But this is a time that Uriah Faber could kind of go out. I would, I'd, I'd say on top. I mean, still pretty much on top. Still, a, no, he's still a super dangerous guy for anybody to right. lock up with. And still a ranked fighter, but yet a guy who's lost, uh, you know, two of three to the champ. So it's probably not a title shot coming well, his way. Anytime that's soon. what I think. I mean, that's really the only thing he has left to accomplish in yeah. his career is to win a UFC title. Right. And right now, I guess the prospect of that being, you know, four or five fights away, uh, putting out victories against, you know, a lot of uh, tough competition. Yeah. You know, uh, the guy's been training his whole life. I mean, the guy trains year-round. I've never seen a pitcher or I've never seen him ever out of shape. The guy yeah. eats meticulously. 
very lives a very clean lifestyle. So I don't think it's a lack of ability. Just, you know, I think at a certain point, maybe his drive to accomplish that goal and looking at, you know, how much he has to put forward to really try to make that come to a realization and what sacrifices that are going to take to what, you know, it's really worth for him to gain. And, you know, he's a very smart businessman. He has definitely different adventure, adventures going on outside of MMA and, and with MMA. I see him just kind of sliding into that coaching position and doing more broadcasting. You know, he has a good way of uh, speaking and carrying himself, and he's a great mm-hmm. ambassador for the sport. So, Yep, agreed. Um, go ahead and tell them, Frank, how they can uh, follow us on social media. Well, as always, you know, Phone Booth Fighting can be followed on our Facebook and our Instagram. And if you want to follow us on Twitter or Snapchat, you can check us out at uh, Phone Booth Fight. That's it. That's it. Uh, you can follow me on social media, Facebook at official Richard Hunter and Twitter and Instagram. I am Richard Hunter or at Richard Hunter rather. Uh, Frank is on Facebook at official Frank Mir and he's on uh, social media, Twitter and Instagram at the Frank Mir. Tell a friend about the phone booth fighting podcast. Would you do us that one favor sometime between now and the next time we get together later on in the week? Just tell a friend. It's the best thing you can do for us to help us grow this show. Uh, the Phone Booth Fighting podcast is available twice weekly in iTunes, at Stitcher Radio, also SoundCloud. And if you're on our iTunes page, click on those five stars, please. Give us a five-star rating. That helps keep us uh, near the top of the rankings. And uh, if you really feel uh, especially inclined, write us a favorable uh, line or two in the way of a review, and we'll be happy to read those five-star reviews on the air, Frank. Wait a minute. You've never drank a drop of alcohol in your life, right? Right. Never once. Mm-mm. Not Never took a sip of a beer. Mm-mm. Now, the John Morgan, right? Their show, they drink on it. I yes. That was apparently discussed already. <laughs> apparently, there's some concern about, you know, how it you can being the only be allowed in, in the club. Yeah. But I, I think I was given some sort of uh, pass or wave or, I don't know, special dispensation. It would be interesting if it was the very first time you took a sip of an alcohol, right? Or do you want to keep that record going? Yeah, I'm going to keep that. Yeah, I'm, trust me. You and I both want us to keep, uh, want me to keep that uh, well, record. Well, you don't know. Intact. You might be the greatest uh, drunk guy ever. <laughs> I No, I don't think so. I Not like my wife. No. It's, There's a reason uh, why Mrs. Mir is the designated driver. She oh, is that right? Yeah. Over 10 years, she hasn't drank. Oh, yeah? Yeah, she's not. Uh, not a good idea? No. Okay. <laughs> Something about Latin and Austrian blood and drunk. I see. Just doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I uh, I have to remain in control of all my faculties, so yeah. I will uh, be doing that. I'm a good uh, drunk. For the uh, swap cast as well. Yeah. Um, you, I mean, I think uh, uh, some type of alcohol consumption led to one of our more popular podcasts, if yeah, I remember One night correctly. I was on a whole rant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah if people, anything, I think I come more out of my shell. Yeah, I think so. People like that episode, whatever whatever uh, that was about. All right, well, that's going to do it uh, for tonight, but uh, rest assured we will be back with you later on in the week. As I said, we're going to tape, as this airs, we're going to tape Wednesday night, probably around 9 p.m. Uh, Pacific. So if uh, you want to jump on the Phone Booth Fighting Facebook page and stream the video live, uh, it's twofold. One, you can uh, catch the episode before anybody else gets a chance to hear it. And uh, you can also help us test out our uh, video technology because we'll be making some improvements on a show-by-show basis, and we need a little uh, test focus group out there to help us out with that uh, real-time. And then, of course, uh, the episode will upload this uh, Friday. So tune in for another episode of Phone Booth Fighting then. Until then, for Frank, I'm Richard. Thanks for being with us on this one, and we'll see you next time.
Everybody was Kung Fu. <laughs> 